And I'll introduce what's happening in this hour in just a moment, but I want to remind you about what's coming up. Next Sunday, in this hour, I'll be doing uh, just a one-time solo uh, lesson on a biblical biblical perspective on race relations. Uh, we had uh, talked about doing a few weeks this summer on some uh, biblical perspective on current events. Uh, last week, I did one on the uh, coming election, and uh, next week it'll be on race relations because of all that's been happening. And then two weeks from today, we start the uh, Parenting with Purpose series in, in this room. So all that are interested in that and what the Bible teaches about the purpose and some of the uh, methodology of parenting, that's what we'll be covering in 10 weeks, starting in two weeks in this room. For those that are not going to be part of the parenting class, we have a second class, an alternate class. Dr. Combs is going to be going through, for those 10 weeks, the book of Second Corinthians. And then for our uh, young adults, they're going to be, have a 10-week class on apologetics, our crossroads class. So we'll have three classes actually going beginning two weeks from, from today. Uh, today, we are delighted to have with us uh, Jeremy and, and Jenny Pitsley. And they are one of our two missionaries to Kenya. We also support the Hofstetlers, with whom they serve there, uh, teaching at a, a Bible college there in, in Kenya. And they have just completed, uh, Jeremy and Jenny have their first term there. And so they're back home and able to visit as many of their supporting churches as possible. And we're glad that we are one of the churches that they were able to put on their itinerary. And so Jeremy is going to come. He's going to uh, have a time of uh, Q&A. He's got a, a video and also uh, some instruction about the Great Commission. So Jerry, Jeremy, we're delighted to have you. That was uh, one of my favorite courses while I was uh, still in seminary, uh, 2 Corinthians, English Bible, 2 Corinthians with Dr. Combs. So my, my heart would be torn. I uh, have three, three kids, so biblical wisdom on parenting would also be well appreciated. That would be a hard choice for me to make. Uh, you guys have, uh, have some good, um, good material, good content uh, right ready for you. That's good. Well, I'm uh, just going to introduce my video, uh, just a few minutes uh, summary of my, my ministry. If you would, as you're watching, uh, think of questions that you would like to ask. I would appreciate um, your attention to the video. And then uh, when you have questions, that enables me to tailor uh, my presentation and my report on my ministry to what you're interested in and what you're curious about and what I didn't make clear in the video to you. That way, I don't spend a lot of time just talking about what I'm interested in. I can fill you in on, on the things that are not already clear to you. <clears throat> With a landmass roughly five times that of Ohio, Kenya boasts nearly 46 million people and the largest economy in Eastern and Central Africa. Home to some of the largest refugee communities in the world, it's seen as an island of stability in comparison with nearby Somalia and South Sudan. Protestant missions in Kenya commenced around 170 years ago, and today 83% of the population claim the name of Christ. The majority of those would call themselves evangelical or born again. Another 15% adhere either to Islam or to the traditional religions of Africa. Despite the high number of evangelical Christians, 
32 of Kenya's 111 people groups are considered unreached. Operation World outlines the current situation this way. Long-term and rapid growth in churches has brought significant challenges. Nominalism is a major issue. Church attendance nationally is only 7%, less than one-tenth of all Christians. Operation World goes on to say many adopt syncretistic practices or unbiblical beliefs. Alongside the explosive expansion of the gospel in the last 50 years, false teaching and a mix of Christianity and traditional religion has taken root in the hearts of many. The prosperity gospel, the idea that good Christians are supposed to be wealthy and should be living their best lives now, is becoming the expected norm in churches. At the same time, charlatans claim miraculous powers to prey upon audiences desperate for a breakthrough in their health or financial situation. All the while, the true gospel is assumed and virtually forgotten, if not practically denied. Paul and Titus faced similar circumstances in their work in Crete, and Paul pointed to the solution. The churches needed qualified elders who can each hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it, Titus 1.9. That's where Operation World points as well, the need for trained leaders for more than 80,000 congregations. When I was a teenager, one of my pastors shared a pamphlet with me about the future of missions. The pamphlet gave a sketch of the history of missions and pointed to a trajectory. Missions in many parts of the world is maturing past the stage where foreign church planters are needed. National church planters are almost always better equipped to make the gospel clear in their home culture. The future of Western missions in these areas, the pamphlet contended, was in partnership, training leaders, pastors, church planters, and missionaries to join us in holding fast to the trustworthy message and in reaching the hardest-to-reach places. From that time in high school, theological education in a non-U.S. context has been my ambition. Throughout my time in training, I considered several fields of service from Kathmandu, Nepal to London, England. My desire was always the same, to serve and equip pastors and missionaries for ministry. As I completed my theological training, another informal conversation with a pastor friend led us to consider Kenya. Jenny and I considered our gifting and the Lord's preparation of us, and as we sought wise counsel and visited a couple of times, our direction became clear. The last two and a half years have served to confirm that calling. There's nothing else I'd rather be doing, and when I consider our great opportunities and deep friendships and partnerships in Kenya, there's nowhere else in the world I'd rather be doing it. We delight in God's wisdom in matching us with these opportunities to serve. Allow me to summarize our time in Kenya over the last two and a half years. I have developed or adapted and taught 10 college-level courses, including an introduction to Greek and Hebrew, for our school, East Africa Baptist School of Theology. I've also had the opportunity to teach block courses for pastors in South Sudan and Zambia. We have been intimately involved in discipling believers at Emmanuel Baptist Church and reaching out to unbelievers through adult Bible classes on Sunday mornings, through occasional preaching, and perhaps most significantly, through the close friendships we've developed there, especially over the last year. During my time in Kenya, I've begun to develop a daily routine. Most days, I'm preparing lessons of one sort or another. 
In order to promote critical thinking and analytical reading skills, our classrooms are built around discussions of certain issues. The students read a chapter or two of a book or a theological article before class, and the ideas in the reading are analyzed and evaluated during the class. I also teach regularly at Emmanuel Baptist Church, where I am a member. I co-lead a community group Bible study, and teach adults during the Sunday school hour. Frequently throughout the week, I take time to meet and discuss the Bible and the Christian walk with fellow church members and area pastors, as well as unbelievers. Jenny and our three children, Josiah, age ten, Jonas, seven, and Jamin, five, usually have their days filled with homeschooling. Several times a week, Jenny is also able to meet with fellow church members and other friends for Bible study and discipleship. Usually, several times a week, we welcome friends into our home, caring for one another, stirring each other up to love and good works, building up one another in the faith. God has been so good to grant us a home where all of this can take place. Our day-to-day responsibilities are different from what you might expect because the greatest needs right now in Kenya. Our qualified leaders and biblical discernment, as members and representatives of Intercity Baptist Church and Grace Baptist Mission, we're engaged in meeting that need through equipping our local body and training Kenyans for church ministry. We're grateful for this opportunity to partner with you and ask that you would pray for us in the following five areas. One of our challenges is wisely navigating the mixture of worldviews in Nairobi. Grasping the cultural backdrop of everyday decisions is essential to serving effectively here. Another set of challenges come from disease and danger that we probably would not otherwise encounter. God is in charge of all these challenges, of course. Nowhere on earth is safe from the effects of sin, and everywhere on earth is safe as long as our earthly assignment lasts. Please pray with us for safety and health for continued service. Please pray for stamina. And wisdom in this curriculum development stage of our ministry at Ebst. Please pray for students who will see the challenge of the Great Commission and own it for themselves. We would love to see some of them giving their lives to reach the unreached peoples of this country and beyond. Pray for continued stability here in the States and in Kenya, so that we can continue to leverage this incredible opportunity for the sake of the gospel and the name. This opportunity to partner with you has been a conduit of God's grace to us. You have been instruments in His hands along with us in training Kenyans to reach Kenyans and the world for the sake of the name. All right, questions. First one's always the toughest. Yes. Yes. Yes, I will be. I'll, I'll try to remember to repeat the question. The question was um, based on the comment that I made that it is an oasis of peace in the area, and I guess peace is is a relative term, um, and that's uh, we we think of of the United States as. Incredibly peaceful, but maybe you having been here and not having that that East African context to compare it to, um, you might be seeing quite a bit of instability here. Uh, so peace again is is a relative term. 
When we first arrived, the, there was an attack on a Western-style mall. Uh, this was about a month after we arrived. We were still in language school about 45 minutes from town. Uh, but there was a, it's almost like a, a siege. Um, a, there was like a three-day standoff at this, at this mall. What had happened was insiders had allowed um, Somali terrorists, al-Shabaab, uh, to stockpile weapons and ammunition within the storerooms of uh, some of the mall stores. And they uh, they were able, actually, to hold off the authorities for two, three days. Uh, we had um, church members who were there at the beginning, and uh, the Lord provided uh, safety for them, and they were able to, to escape. Uh, so there there is terrorism. Um, it's, it feels maybe a bit closer to us there than, than here. Um, one of my, one of my ministry colleagues is, is fond of saying security is always an illusion. Uh, you can, you can do whatever you want to, uh, put up. When we go into a mall, we have somebody scanning us almost like going into an airport. Uh, we have, uh, you know, somebody making sure that we don't have weapons, opening our, opening our bags, but I think there's been maybe two times, I go into a mall probably two or three times a week, and there's been two times in the last two or three years where I'm sure that I would not have been able to get through with something. So most of the time, I'm feeling like they didn't really check me. They didn't really check me. And it's, it's, it's an illusion. Um, it, it helps us to feel better. Uh, you you know that if people are really planning and they have money to back them and the desire and drive to get it done, they can get it done. But on the other side, we have an almighty God who has all power, all authority, as we're going to be looking at in, uh, in Matthew 28. Uh, God has seated his Christ on the throne. He's given us this task to do. So we go for it. And, and we try to be careful. For instance, I generally stay away from malls on Saturday because that's when the biggest crowds are. That's when it's the biggest target. And, and, you know, I get to avoid lines that way too. So it's not all bad. Uh, it's just a kind of common sense precaution. We live in a, a community that's, has a gate. Our, our apartment complex has a gate. There's guards there 24 seven. Uh, so we take some kind of common sense precautions. Even the same kind of precautions that would help us avoid getting mugged would also keep us out of situations where terrorism would be a problem. So take some common sense precautions, uh, all the while trusting that the Lord is really our security. Good question. Thank you. There's one over here. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Uh, so the question was about my familiarity with Victoria's Home. Is that what's the name of it? Uh, and part of the reason that I do that, um, 
have that map up there for comparison is just to give people an idea of how how large it is. Uh, I was actually just just talking about this with with Texas because I was saying I was going down to Texas later this week where that's our next uh, next phase of reporting is reporting to the churches that support me in that in that area of the country. And my friend was saying, oh, I have a friend in Dallas. And it's like, well, that's 10 hours away from 10 hours drive away on 75, 85 or 75, 80 speed limit on, you know, nice interstates. It's still 10 hours away from where, where we're serving. So sometimes the, the proportion of distant areas is not always very familiar to us. Um, there are many, many um, outreaches to children. Our, uh, our local church, Emmanuel Baptist Church, has been uh, working with a ministry called Hope Amplified. And their concentration, uh, nearby slums, Kibera slum is the largest slum in Africa, and uh, I think among the top five uh, in size for the world. And this particular ministry concentrates on street boys. Many of them are um, without family members because of AIDS. Uh, Many of them are runaways uh, because they're in a a financial situation or a, or I'm sorry, a family situation that that's difficult and they don't get along with their stepdad, for instance, and so they run away and there's no one, no one to care for them. And the government has kind of instituted that there be a place for these people to go, but the people who are manning these institutions are just kind of collecting a paycheck. Um, so there's no one who really cares for the kids. And one of my friends and a student is actually uh, who, a man who has been a student. He's uh, heading up a ministry to, to help in these, in these situations. There's dire need, and there's a lot of work uh, right now to, to meet the need. Yes. Uh, challenges personally in my ministry. Um, I don't know that that what comes to mind is something that's unique to me in in Kenya. The first thing that came to mind is is uh, we're working with a couple in our church. Um, one is uh, struggling with maybe depression. Um, he's he's been to. Uh, a psychiatrist who's trying to 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 give him drugs, going on the drugs, going off the drugs. There's struggles there, um, and all the while he's engaged and planning to get married. And you know, it, we're, we live in a sin cursed world, and there's messes whenever people get involved. And that's that's the way it is in uh, here in the states. That's the way that it is in Kenya. So just feeling that that desperation that I need to get back in here. I need to appeal to the Lord for help to change hearts. Um, those kinds of uh, those kinds of needs are needs for everywhere. But it's just because it's everywhere doesn't mean I'm not feeling it acutely personally for me. Uh, that seems to be one of the one of the challenges. As far as the the school is concerned, uh, big challenges. Right now, there's just a boatload of work to do. Uh, developing curriculum takes time. You know, Dr. Combs spent uh, considerable time, and and uh, Jeff Straub, uh, one of the uh, seminary professors at Central Seminary, has come out to visit us, and he was talking about his first 
five years and said, you know, each week it was, I was just barely ahead of the students and preparing those lessons. And, and that was, that was exactly my story. That's exactly how I feel. It's just each week you're just keeping ahead of the students. You're, you're developing lessons, developing these, um, these questions and discussion format lessons and, and really working hard to, to do that. There's a lot of work to do. So that's, uh, as far as the ministry side. Personally, the biggest adjustment that I had to make was traffic. Uh, when we first when we first moved from language school, we lived about 15 miles from our um, from the church, from Emmanuel Baptist Church, which is um, the land on which we uh, do the the schooling. Uh, we we use their church buildings, and they use a tent because they've outgrown outgrown their buildings. Uh, so. We're about 15 miles away. That 15 miles uh, can take half an hour. It can take an hour and a half. Uh, one time when a, a tanker uh, overturned on the road, it took three and a half hours for me to get to class. So I missed, uh, I think it was actually my first class that term, I missed because... Uh, there's no other way to get from, from A to B, and I'm just stuck. And you know the traffic's really bad when you put it in, I put it in park and I took out a book and just started reading because I wasn't going anywhere. Uh, that was, it was a huge adjustment and, uh, the level of frustration, level of stress. Um, so the Lord is good to, to provide audible, uh, audio books. Uh, so I, I got through several, several classic, nice, thick books, uh, on the on my drives and more recently this last september we've actually moved in significantly closer we're much more able to participate in the church's ministries um we see we see guests several times a week now uh so that has that has been good but that's those are my my personal my personal challenges and struggles can i take one more sure Sure. Yes, yes. Uh, in my mind, it resembles... It, the question was about um, the, the statistics that I gave, that it was um, 83% Christian. Now, most of those are, would consider themselves evangelical, but it's just a bare majority. It's like 45% of the country considers itself evangelical. But still, that's a huge number. And uh, Catholics and others make up the rest of um, the rest of that. But regardless of whether it's Catholic or, or evangelical, only seven percent of the population regularly attends church. So there is uh, nominalism as a huge that's um, a huge problem. Uh, convincing people that they're not really Christians, <laughs> and that's kind of the way that evangelism works. Uh, in Kenya almost all the time. I mean, we could go to Muslim areas. In fact, my apartment complex uh, has many Muslims, and that makes up that maybe 10, 15 percent that's, that's remaining. Uh, so that, that's an obvious area where evangelism is very head-on and, and maybe um, a little bit more clear about the differences because these people have a, a different faith commitment. Um, but whereas you're, when, when you're talking to Christians, 
who hardly ever uh, find themselves with a community of God's people, uh, don't really understand the gospel, but they call themselves Christians. It's, it's a different approach. Uh, I've compared it sometimes to like America in the 1950s. Uh, there was a lot of nominal Christianity. I was even just watching uh, a YouTube clip of an old, uh, old David, David Letterman interview. And the, the number of times uh, the guy he was interviewing talked about, by the grace of God, um, God, you know, God helped me to get this done, those kinds of things. And that was like uh, early 1970. And it really struck me as to how much that, that has changed here, even over the last 45 years. Uh, so I see Kenya sliding that same direction. It's nominalism now. But 20 years from now, people will be wondering, why, why are we still doing this? What, I mean, it, this is just custom, and it's superficial. And, and so the challenge now is to heighten that awareness of what the true gospel is. Why did Jesus come to die? What does it mean to follow him? Uh, answers to those questions, I think, often leave uh, blank stares. And, it, and that's the opportunity that we have to, um, to call people to a vibrant faith. And some of them may be believers. You know, we, we, we don't know uh, what's going on in the heart. Uh, just because uh, and, you know, church attendance isn't what saves you, right? It's, it's a steadfast hope in uh, the accomplishments of Christ. So we don't know their, their status. Um, but we're calling them to an outward show, <laughs> you know, we're calling them to a real commitment and following the, following the Lord Jesus Christ in these real observable ways. As it says in Titus chapter 2, he came to purify a people who were zealous for good works, uh, not, not just zealous for the paycheck, zealous for um, advancement in society, but zealous for glorifying God and lifting up the gospel high. Good question. Let's take a look at, uh, at Matthew chapter 28. <coughs> I know my time is limited. I just wanted to briefly uh, outline for us the dimensions of the Great Commission. The mentions of the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Let's ask for the Lord's help for our remaining time. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for revealing yourself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, sending him as a sacrifice, a perfect lamb uh, for sinners. Thank you for giving up your son out of love. 
It's an incredible, incredible message that we have. Lord, we have been given direction in our lives to declare your praises, especially in sharing the gospel, in announcing this good news. And Christ himself has promised his presence with us. I pray, Lord, that you would grant us understanding of the job that you've given us through Christ and that you would also grant us an assurance, a confidence of the presence of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. As we look at this, uh, as we look at this text, I'd like to, to outline it kind of along the lines of, of dimensions, you know, three dimensions. We've got, we've got width and depth and length in this, in this passage. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me, Jesus said. Therefore, go to, go and make disciples of all nations. All nations kind of highlights for us the width of the commission that we're given. When around the time that the United States was born, uh, the foreign mission movement was born in, uh, in the UK. And that actually kind of spread over here. America was quite young when it began sending, uh, sending missionaries, when the churches here in America began uh, sending missionaries such as Adoniram Judson. As that started, it tended to be in coastland areas. That's where missionaries tended to serve. They would hit the big port cities in India, in China, in Africa, and then they would, and then they would plant churches, accomplish the mission that's outlined here. As time went on, however, it became clear that there were frontiers that were not being reached. So a second wave of missionaries pushed beyond the coastland into the inland. And around this time, you actually had several missions that were be, that were begun. Africa inland mission, Sudan inland mission, uh, China inland mission. Some of the the most famous missionary uh, superstars, so to speak, come from that era of mission where they are pushing beyond the coastlands inland. After World War II, uh, especially in the United States, there was a push to reach every country in the world. And so that was, that was seen as the next frontier, that each political, each geopolitical entity had missionaries who were active proclaiming the gospel. Since the 70s, uh, a man named Ralph Winter uh, published some material about what specifically it means when, uh, when the Lord Jesus Christ says, all nations. And the word there is actually related to our word for ethnic group. And so there is a desire to reach beyond just the geopolitical entities and reach the, the people groups within, within each area. And as I mentioned in my, in my presentation, uh, Kenya still has 32 unreached people group. Up to this day, the people group uh, movement is still very strong in in missions, where we try to meet, uh, try to bring the gospel to every language, every tribe. And we know from Revelation chapter five that this is exactly how God planned 
Christ's victory to to be played out on the global scene. Every kindred, tribe, people, nation will be gathered around the throne praising, praising the Lamb. God has planned this. Christ has accomplished it. This is the victory to which we are headed. And we can't neglect, on the other hand, we can't neglect the geographic dimension of the, of the commission as it's given. For instance, if we compare this passage to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you'll start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That is a geographical outlining of the Great Commission. So I believe that both both of these complement each other. There should be no place in the world where Christ is not named. In fact, when we see Paul outlining his mission in Romans 15, he uses both kinds of terms. He uses nations terminology and he uses places terminology. So among every people in all places. This is the width of the mission that we are given. But what are we supposed to do? Would it, would it complete the Great Commission if we were able to ship a MP3 player to every village all over the world with a presentation of the gospel? You pick the preacher. Would that complete the mission? It wouldn't complete the mission. The mission is deeper than that. And as we look, I'd like you to, uh, I'd like you to compare here in, in Acts chapter 14, what Paul was, what Paul was up to. Paul took this great commission and he endeavored to fulfill it in this area, as it says in verse 21, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. So he came, he did proclaim the gospel. That is a necessary element to the commission that we're given. Proclaim the gospel. Acts chapter 1 says, you are to be my witnesses. So there is a doctrinal announcement of what Christ has accomplished. And the Great Commission cannot be accomplished without that. But it's more than just the proclamation of the gospel that, that we have been called to. They preached the gospel in that city, won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, (coughs) Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom. Now, that's not a very popular concept uh, for us. It seems even less popular in, in Nairobi. There's a lot of prosperity teaching. But this is how they grounded the disciples. They established them. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Then Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. So this is, this is how the apostles fulfilled the commission that they were given. They gathered disciples into churches. They made sure that those churches had qualified leaders. Now, if we press on in this same area in Acts chapter 16, we see that Paul wasn't content just with qualified leaders. Paul pushes them 
to the point where he trains them to the point where they're ready to send a Timothy along with Paul. It's that same area, Lystra, Iconium, Derby. So Paul proclaims the gospel. He gathers believers. They, they congregate as a church. They have recognized leaders. And among those recognized leaders, just like he was sent out from the Antioch church, this, this group of church plants sends out missionaries. This is the depth of the mission. And it makes sense, doesn't it, as we go back to Matthew chapter 28? Matthew chapter 28, verse 20 says that, that Jesus commands us to teach them, teach the nations to obey everything that he's commanded. Well, whatever you believe grammatically about this section, if you look, it says, make disciples. That's a command. And Jesus commanded it. So one of the commands that we're supposed to pass on to all nations is the very command, go make disciples of all nations. We are done with the foreign missionary enterprise when missionaries are being sent from what was formerly a mission field. And that's kind of like the justification for my existence in Kenya. This is, this is the stage that we're at where we're training, qualifying leaders, getting leaders qualified, and also working with them so that they can reach the unreached peoples in their own area and even move beyond. There's a lot of, a lot of work to do. Finally, the, the length of the mission. How long is this going to take? And, and each generation, I think, owns this and maybe wonders if we're going to be able to, to finish the job. And, and the Lord says that he will be with us to the very end of the age. Jesus has his sheep, and his sheep will hear his voice. There's a plan. And when every one of those sheep hears his voice and follows him, our job is done. This is, this is not going to be something that we can say, well, I'll give a month to it or I'll give a year to it and expect that it's done. This is something that takes our lives as something that we'll never be finished with until the very end of the age. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this mission and the light that it gives us to our path. I pray, Lord, that you would grant us um, priorities that are in line with this mission, that we would um, look at the relationships and circle of influence that we have and seek to redeem the time. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, just very quickly, I want to say thank you, Jeremy and Jenny, for being with us. And also thank you for your ministry in uh, Kenya for the presentation so that we know a bit more about what's happening there and how we can pray for you. Whenever we have opportunity to have some of our missionaries back and to see them again and hear what's going on, I always just feel blessed that God has allowed us to partner with people like that. The lineup of missionaries that, that we have, I don't think there's a weak link in the, in the, in the entire group. They are just a quality people that have been trained for what they're doing and uh, have a heart a heart for it. They've 
quality in that they've got the character, the godliness for it, the giftedness to uh, carry it out. And uh, God allows us to be partners with them in the gospel. I mean, just think about it. Eternal work is being done in Kenya. And we get to be a part of we get to be a part of that. So it's not just the work the Lord's doing here, but the partnership we have with them over there. So again, thank you guys. And I want to encourage all of you to get by and say thank you to Jeremy and Jenny. Let them know we appreciate what they're doing and that we'll be in prayer for them. And you are dismissed. <laughs>